in a series right now called The Arrival, and uh, we're going to dive into that in just a few minutes. I want to want to share a couple of thoughts this morning. One thought is if, uh, uh, if you want to join us in one of our prayer gatherings, right now they're in Coeur d'Alene, but I hope that God puts it up on your heart to start one here. And so right now it's Tuesday morning, 7 a.m., Thursday morning, 7 a.m., and Wednesday at noon. If you ever want to start one here in, Coeur in Post Falls, uh, that would be wonderful. We believe that prayer is the engine room of the church, and it's vital. What we do in the, the engine room, God brings to public and just moves mightily. So we are a church of prayer, and uh, my house shall be called a house of, for all nations. So it's very important to us, and I just encourage you in that. The other one is uh, Rosie Logan. Where are you at, Logan, right there? If you want to be... Even if you don't want to be, maybe you just need to be serving in children's ministry. Uh, we would love for you to join us. Talk to Logan Rosie downstairs. Uh, you have a lot to offer this next generation, and I just encourage you, uh, we, we would love for you to join us in that ministry. We're a generational church from the womb to the tomb, and so we believe in not just babysitting but raising up the next generation. And it's, it's not just what we talk, it's what we walk. A lot of emphasis on children, a lot of emphasis on youth, on young adults of all ages, all the way up to Stephen Knoll. And his group, he's got a beautiful, he's got a beautiful group above 60, so 60 plus. They call them the, the silverheads. No, I'm just teasing Mine's silver if I let it grow out. <laughs> I saw this week there was a dog kind of in front of a Christmas tree. Beautiful dog, like a retriever or something. It had a big note on it. And on the note, he's standing there kind of humble. And the note said, I ate baby Jesus. And I'm not looking forward to his second coming. We're in this series on the arrival. It's about Advent, the first Advent. Today I'm going to be focusing a lot on the second Advent. Last week I talked about the first Advent. What is Advent? What's that fancy name really mean? I'll give you my definition. Someone very special is arriving. And that someone special arriving, Jesus Christ, the first uh, uh, Advent, Jesus came as a humble baby. He was born in what I would consider the ghetto, ghetto of two, 3,000 people uh, in a place called Bethlehem. And his mother was a virgin named Mary. Uh, he was a servant. He was a raised, a carpenter um, who lived a sinless life, which was very, very powerful, profound. We'll talk a little bit more about that. The Bible says in uh, John chapter 1, he, he came full of grace and truth, he was a servant of all servants. John the Baptist said this about him, the spotless lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, so this is the Jesus that came the first time, Emmanuel, Jesus was here. So this, this, the title of this today is he was here, he is here, and he's coming. 
Okay, so it's all of those above, okay? Today I'm going to focus a lot on the second advent of Jesus coming again. How many of you know that he's coming again? Would you be right if he, if he came today? So there's a very beautiful scripture, and it's, I'm going to read it out of the King James, the second advent, Maranatha, Maranatha. Say that with me, Maranatha. You thought it was a word. It's actually not a word. It's a phrase. We're going to talk about that. If you, look in your, if you were to look in a King James version, it would say this in 1 Corinthians 16.22. It's going to be up there. I want you to see this scripture. It's very interesting. It says, if any man love not the Lord Jesus, let him be anathema maranatha. Well, uh, anathema is not translated in the Greek there. I mean, they didn't translate it into the English language. They kept it in the Greek. Follow that? We're going to read what it means in just a minute. And then the word maranatha. Maranatha is not really a word. It's a phrase. It's a, uh, it's a phrase taken, the words is Greek. Um, and every word is Greek, but it's, it's a phrase, Maranatha, Aramaic. And so that Aramaic phrase means Maranatha. It means the Lord is coming. Come, O Lord, or O Lord, come. So I want to read it now out of the English Standard Version so you see that. Because that word uh, anathema, translated, means accursed. And that's what typically you'll read in any New King James, New American, not New American Standard Version. I think that also says Arnamanda. But in, in, in whatever you're probably reading today, it's going to sound something like this. 1 Corinthians 16.22. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. You see that? So we're going to talk about that. Oh, Lord, come today, because that would be the second advent when Jesus comes again. Someone special is coming again. That's why it's, I, I named this today, the king was here. That was baby Jesus as he come. Do we celebrate this time of year? How many know he didn't stay a baby? If he's a baby in your heart, you have a problem. He didn't even stay a man. He's 100% God, 100% man, and he was glorified. Okay, Emmanuel, right? Emmanuel, what does that mean? There's another fancy word. God is with us. He's not just any baby. He's just not any man. Emmanuel, God is with us. That's who Jesus is. And he's also here. What do you mean he's here? I thought he left. Well, he, you, there's the Holy Spirit. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. He's with us today. Jesus didn't leave us alone. He left the Holy Spirit who's with us. It lives inside of you if you're a believer today, rejuvenating us, regeneration of the Holy Spirit, empowers us, fills us, comforts us, counsels us, leads us. If you allow him to, that's what he wants to do in your life. So many people, they don't really recognize the Holy Spirit, so it's not like they experience those things. I experience those things because the Holy Spirit is my best friend. Bar none. And then you have the king is coming. The king is coming. Jesus is coming back. 
I want to talk about that for a few minutes. Revelation 22, 13. How is that all packaged? Because it's a mystery. How many know a mystery is a mystery? How many know if it's a mystery, you're not going to figure it out? Well, Jay, I'm going to figure out the trend of that. I'm going to figure out the trinity. I'm going to get it down. I'm going to figure it out. No, you're not. I don't care how long you try to figure out a, tr- a, a mystery, you don't figure out a mystery because when God says it's a mystery, it's a minis- mystery, you're not going to figure it out. So the Trinity is a mystery. And so Revelations 22, 13 says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega. It says, I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the first and the last. Okay? I want you to look at this very familiar scripture that we use in, in around Christmas, but we're going to maybe look at it a little different. Isaiah 9, 7 says this, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. There will be no end. Upon the throne of David, I want you to really focus on that just for a moment. Why would he say the throne of David? Okay, we're going to tie in today a little bit of that throne of David through the sermon and over his kingdom to order and to establish. Say that with me, order. How many know that things are not in order in America, in this world? Have you watched the news lately? Have you been to California lately? You don't have to go far, just go into Washington. Just watch it. There's a lot of things that are out of order. Jesus is coming back, and he's going to put things in order. When the king comes back, it will get ordered. Okay, It says, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from, the time, from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, Lord of hosts, that's an army, will perform this. So I want you to recognize when Jesus comes back, the second advent, he's going to get things in order. Jesus is coming back to get things in order because things have, it's kind of like this America. You ever saw um, back in the day, Coke machines, snack machines, and you go put your money in it, doesn't give you anything because it's out of order? That's America right now. That's the world we live in. It's out of order and Jesus will come back and put things in order. Hebrew speaks of Old Testament, things in the Old Testament being types and shadows of things that's coming in the New Testament. We're going we're gonna to camp on that a little bit today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you a type and shadow of what's in the Old Testament that David was part of to get us ready for the New Testament and even ushering in the King of Kings and and ushering in the second advent of Jesus Christ. We are going to use and touch on this fancy word that you don't usually use a whole lot unless you're in church. Uh, The word is eschatology. Say that with me, eschatology. Anybody know what that means? Simple. It speaks of things that's going to be concerning the end of the age. So just a little bit of eschatology today, kind of like what's it going to look like at the end of the age. We're not going to dive deeply into that, but Scripture, everything I'm going to be sharing today is out of Scripture, and it's very simple. If you want to read and find out about eschatology in the ends, you can also find these things. So there was the first king of Israel. His name was Saul, and Saul died. 
Okay, And after he died, he was killed along with his son and sons. And after he died, there was a, a, a new king that took over for him uh, for a short amount of time. His name was Ish-bosheth, and he was his son, and he was king for two years in Israel. Okay, And so he wasn't, how many know that you might get a title, but that doesn't mean that you really are a good leader? You can be the president of the United States, but it doesn't mean that you're a great leader. Is that not true? I'm just being honest. I'm not trying to slam on everyone, but I'm just saying you can get a title, but that doesn't mean that you're good at it. Uh, this guy, whose name is already difficult, Ishbosheth, his he's king, but he's not really a king. He's not really a leader. He's king for two years. His own captains come and take him out. And then they thought, oh, we're going to do David a, a, you know, a good service here. Let's go tell David what we did. Well, David had held in high esteem Saul and the anointed one and the anointed king. His best friend was Jonathan. And it's like, mm, I don't know if you want to go tell David these things. Well, they go and they tell David that they took him out. And what does David do? David takes them out. It's like, man, you, they're evil scoundrels, and they shouldn't have done that. But nevertheless, now David, you, you may or may not know this, but Israel and Judah was separated for a certain time in history, and now David is now the king of both. He was the king of Judah, but now he's the king of Israel. He's the king of all of those areas, and uh, he does something very unique. The Ark of God, how many ever saw Indiana Jones? If you saw Indiana Jones, raise your hand. Just want to get a... Most people, right? So you got to feel for the Ark of the Covenant. It represents the, the very presence of God. It's just not like any Ark. This is the, the, the unadulterated presence of God. And what had happened was uh, the Ark had been captured by the Philistines. And they tried to return it because they started getting tumors broken out. Because if you're a Philistine, you don't want to have the Ark of God. You're not the, the people of God. And so they re re returned the, the, the ark of God. Now David is trying to bring the ark of God into his city, right? God, David's, David's smart. He wants the presence of God. He knows that if you have the presence of God upon your life, you have the favor of God. You have the blessing of God. Everybody in this room, you want the blessing and the favor of God. You need the presence of God in your family, in your marriage, in your life, in your heart. Are you following me? So David is bringing up the the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, and this is, this is what I want to challenge you is, with this. What can we learn from a king ushering in a king? Selah. What can you learn about a king ushering in a king? Uh, in the USA, it's all about a president. And a president is voted in every four years, right? And you vote them in if you're a Democrat, Republican, Independent or policies, or if they didn't do good, usually it goes back and forth. We're all about Democrats until they're in. Then we're all about Republicans until they're in. And we, we put all this emphasis on presidents, and they usually fall short in many areas. Amen. And so, you know, it, it swings a lot of times I see in America. But that's not how it is with a king. You don't vote a king in. You don't vote a king out. King doesn't care if you like his policies. He'll cut your head off. 
what the king says goes. You following me? And so David is all about getting the ark of God into his city. So we're going to read a quite a bit of scriptures. Can we do that just for a little while here? So turn to 2 Samuel 6, 12 through 23. You're about to see some typologies, shadows in the Old Testament, that David had something going on in the Old Testament that no one else did. He was a man after God's own heart. He had a relationship that other people did not have, and he started changing some things. And so it says this, 2 Samuel 6, 12 through 23. Now it was told David, uh, King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. Obed-Edom had the ark of God because Yuza, they're trying to bring the ark of God up into the city of David, and Yuza, an ox stumbles, and Yuza touched the ark. What happens if you touch the ark? Ask Indiana Jones. You're going to get smoked. He, this Yuza dies. Yuza dies, and it goes on to say, so David went, brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. Somebody say gladness. Your attitude has a lot to do with the presence of God. Your attitude. You're going to see in a minute there was somebody that had a bad attitude uh, that, that is going to be pointed out. Her name was Macau, and she was pouty-faced, puffy-lipped, bad attitude, David's wife. And the impact of a bad attitude. Okay, so anyway, they brought up with gladness. Say that with me, gladness. Very important that our, our attitude makes a huge deal, a, a, a major, major, major uh, issue when it comes to the presence of God. And it goes on to say, and so it was when the bearing of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fattened sheep. Somebody say sacrifice. Sacrifice is very important. What do you mean by sacrifice, J.O.? Um, you know, I, I got saved December the 7th, 1986, celebrated this past week, 37 years. Do you think that I always feel like worshiping God? No. When I don't feel like worshiping God, I have a headache or a stomach ache, and I choose to worship God. Can somebody say sacrifice? When I choose to still get up at 530 and, and, and get into God's word, sacrifice. A sacrifice is only a sacrifice if it's a sacrifice. You can't call it a sacrifice if it's not a sacrifice. Only God knows if it's a sacrifice. David sacrificed. We bring a sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. You follow me? Sacrifice is very important. And it goes on to say, when David, then David danced before the Lord with all of his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. David danced. You're seeing a typology in the Old Testament of ushering in the king, the presence of God in the Old Testament of how we're to usher in the presence of God and even the second coming of Jesus Christ. David was a warrior. They spoke that King Saul killed thousands. David killed tens of thousands. Can you imagine what a warrior looked like when he danced with all of his might? The guy danced out of his clothes. 
He was a radical dancer. You don't think so? I'm going to tell you. He was a radical dancer. And everybody didn't like it. But there was a typology of what God, what David was doing when it comes to ushering in the presence of God. And it goes on to say, and David and all the house of Israel bought up the, the ark of the Lord with, look, shouting the sound of trumpet. All of a sudden you're like, well, church should be uh, quiet. Well, show me in the Bible where church should be quiet. And men shouldn't sing. Show me. David was only a man after God's own heart, and he danced out of his clothes, shouts and trumpets, and it goes on to say, now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, it doesn't say David's wife, though it was his wife, Saul's daughter. She had a lot of Saul in her. Looked through the window and saw David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. A lot of people are despised by worship. They're like, what are they doing? You need to calm down. Southern Baptist or something. Nothing against Southern Baptist. I love Southern Baptist. But we're called to be worshipers. You're called to be a wor- if you're a believer, you're called to be a worshiper. I don't care what your upbringing, I don't care what denomination you came out. This is a typology of worship, of ushering in the presence of God. And it goes on to say, Saul's daughter looked through the window, saw David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. But David, here's a good point. David didn't care what people thought about him. And you shouldn't either. So they brought the ark of the Lord up, set it in the place in the midst of the tabernacle, and David, uh, in the midst of the tabernacle, look at this real close, that David had erected for it. It wasn't the, no longer was it the Moses. It wasn't the tabernacle of Moses any longer. It was the tabernacle of David. It was a tent that David set up for the presence of God, the ark of God. And it said, then David offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. See, David's doing something way different. It's like he's breaking rules. It's not bound to tradition. Then David was finished burnt offerings, offerings, peace offerings. He blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts, and he distributed among all the people among the whole multitude of Israel, both women and men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, a cake of raisins. So the people departed, everyone to his own house, and David returned to bless his own house. Look what happened. Pouty face Macau. And Macau, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and says, How glorious was the king of Israel today! Uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of servants. And one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Oh, puffy lips. And David said to Macau, it was, listen to David's response. It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all of his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord 
I will be even more undignified than this. You think it's bad now, lady? Crazy lady? I'm going to tell you it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. You don't like how I'm dancing right now? It's only going to get worse. Because it was all about the Lord to David. And he undignified that he will be, uh, and it goes on to say, and will be humbled in my own sight. But as for you, maidservants, or as for the maidservants who you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, let me tell you about having a bad attitude toward a king, toward the presence of God. Look what takes place. Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Better watch the presence of God. Better watch our attitudes. The ark, the tabernacle of David, listen, is a picture of the church. Here's a typology. Okay? If you look at Acts 15, 16, it says, After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David. In Acts. What? Rebuild so that we can slaughter animals and, and no. It says, and we'll rebuild the tabernacle of David, which was fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up. The tabernacle also appointed, it pointed to the way of the Gentiles to come into the the church of the living God. Uh, The Gentiles coming to Jesus and part of the church. Most of us in this room probably are, let let me just, if you don't know what a Jew and a Gentile is, I mean, basically, most of us are probably Gentiles. I'm a Gentile. We had Hanukkah with a Jew the other night, and it was a beautiful time. But, uh, but I'm a Gentile. Unless you're born as a Jew, you're a Gentile. And Jesus made a way for Gentiles to come into the church. But look at this beautiful typology that you read. Look at verse 15, 17 of Acts. It says this about the tabernacle of David. So that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Okay, This is prophesied about the Ark of David. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. The old tabernacle during the day of David's tabernacle, the old tabernacle was set on Mount Gibeon and it was set there for 40 years. But David, and they did sacrifice, animal sacrifices took place in that. But In the tabernacle of David, listen real good, there were spiritual sacrifices. You following that? One more truth. David offered up blood sacrifices in the very beginning. But after that, only worship sacrifices. Are you following me? That's important for you to know that this is a typology, a shadow of things to come. That it, it points to the church It points to Gentiles coming to the church. It points to how today does the church usher in the presence of God and how do we even usher in the second advent of Jesus Christ coming back? Are you following me? Here's a kicker. A man after God's own heart, David, knew he was ushering in someone greater than himself. Here's the king ushering in the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, 
David recognized this. So I want to share a little bit in closing the difference between the first advent and the second advent because they are worlds apart. You follow me? The first advent, Jesus came humbly. He came gentle king riding on a colt. The second time Jesus comes, he's coming as a mighty warrior king who will destroy his enemies. Major difference. Jesus, at first, he was coming peacefully and gentle, but the second coming, Jesus will return with his army from heaven. There will not be meekness. This time, Jesus will be a warrior with a double-edged sword. Okay? Big difference in the first and second advent. Listen to Revelations 1, 14 through 16. Here's a picture of Jesus. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, his eyes like flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in furnace. His voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth was a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. Revelation 7, 14, he will be greeted as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. When the Magi found the Jesus in the manger, they followed a star. There could have been three of them. There could have been 30 of them traveling. We, we say three because of the different, three different gifts. But you look all the way back in Daniel and you'll see these, this thing being prophesied about. And they're following to find the, the Messiah, and they follow a star. You follow me? But look what happens at the second coming of Jesus Christ, Matthew 24, 29. Immediately after tribulation, in those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars, somebody say stars, will fall from heaven. They followed a star, and now stars are going to fall everywhere. And the powers of heavens will be shaken. At the first coming, only a few saw Jesus in the manger. The Magi, of course, parents, shepherds. It won't be like at the second coming. You don't never have to worry about and get deceived if Jesus is coming. When Jesus comes, you'll see him. You, you don't... You, you don't have to worry about, oh, they have the Messiah in Mexico. Uh, no, you don't got to worry about that. Oh, he's in Switzerland. You don't got to worry about that. You're going to see him come. Listen to what the Bible says. Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye, somebody say every eye. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will well on his account of him, even so, amen. You're going to see him. It goes on in, uh, I think it's Philippians, it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Jay, oh, I don't like to bow and worship. You better get used to it. There's going to come a day that you won't have a choice. 
He's coming to judge also. Matthew 25 through 30. Matthew 25, 31 through 33, it says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, wow, not by Himself, all the holy angels, wow, and He will sit on the throne in His glory, and all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them uh, from one another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, the goats on his left. You know what separated the goats and the sheep? I don't read where it says, well, you know, the sheep went to church. No, it was what they did or did not do. Joe, you're talking about works? I'm talking about a heart that's been changed by Jesus And when your heart has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, guess what's going to come out of you? You're going to want to do some great things. Fruits under repentance. Right. You're going to want to do some things. Uh, uh, The goats didn't do anything. The sheep, you know what they did? Uh, Jesus, when did we visit you in the prison? Oh, when you did it the least of these. When did we give you something to drink? When you did it the least of these. When did, when did we give you clothes? When you did it the least of these. And he separated the goats and the sheep only by what they did and did not do. But you don't do it out of works for works. You do it out of a regenerated heart because you love. I love my wife. But if I sat up here all day long and say, I love my wife, I love my wife, I love my wife. Well, J.O., I've never seen you kiss her. I've never seen you go on a date with her. I never see you serve her. I never see you... You just say you love her, but you don't, words is cheap. We go on dates on Friday night. I like to kiss my wife. We hang out all the time. I buy her gifts. Why? Because I love her. You following me? The spotless lamb was slain, but a lion rose from the dead. The humble servant was murdered, but the king of the universe is raising, being risen from the grave. It's a huge difference. The lion king warrior is coming. Judah, first, a humble baby in the manger. Second, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. Big difference. The Magi brought him gifts. Do you know that when Jesus comes back, he's going to do things? Listen to what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. It says, and behold, I'm coming quickly, and my rewards is with me to give to everyone according to his works. He's bringing gifts and rewards. If you read in Revelations, the elders cast their crown. Right? You're like, Jay, I don't have a crown. Oh, yeah, you do. You got crowns. Some of you are just macho. Macho men. Macho, macho. You need to cast that stinking crown. Hey, you can be 100% man. I'm 100% man, bro. I am 100% male. 
But you know what? I don't want my machoism to get in the way of my worship to the king of all kings. You might need to cast that crown down. Well, I'm just a little cool. I'm 19 years old and I'm a little. You need to cast that stinking crown down. Well, I'm a CEO on Monday. I don't care what you are on Monday. you got to come as a son and daughter in the presence of, cast your CEO crown down. Well, I'm just a, a woman's lip. Cast that crown down. You need to cast down all your crowns when you come before the presence of the Almighty God. Cast them down. Well, J.O., I'm just a pastor. I don't care you're a pastor. Cast it down. We all have crowns. What's your crown? What's your thing? Cast them down. Cast your crown. Jail, when's he coming back? I'm going to give you an exact date today. I don't know. And if anybody ever tells you, you tell them you're a liar, run from them, and never talk to them again. They're deceived. The Bible says, therefore, keep watch. When might he come? He may come this evening. Do you ever just wake up and go, this might be the day that he comes? Or you live so carelessly that you think it's never going to be in my lifetime. He might come tonight. He may come next week. He may come in 10. We don't know. But the Bible says you should be ready. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know the day or the hour. Listen to this one. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Bob Dylan sang a song. I love Bob Dylan. Are you ready? Ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? I love that. I don't sound like him, but I love his lyrics. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you where you ought to be? That's him. He sang that. Are you ready? I don't know when he's coming. We love to celebrate baby Jesus. But the lion of the tribe of Judah is coming back. We love to celebrate, oh, merciful Jesus. He's coming back, no mercy, with an army. And we have to be ready. Let me close with this scripture. It says, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, took on our sin which appear a second time not to deal with sin but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him have you allowed God to deal with your sin how do you allow God to deal with your sin Paul said he was of the way what do you mean of the way that sounds kind of cultish simply this Jesus says I am the way the truth and the life. So if you're of the way, you're of the, the way of Jesus. Jesus became sin for you and I. Pretty incredible, huh? 
It's like, wow, man, that's ugly. He became sin for you and I so that you could become the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Wow, that's unfair. It sure is. But he did it because of his great love toward us. For there's a place that we play in in the midst of all that. We have to say yes to Jesus. Have you said yes to Jesus?